So, Captain's Log, star date August 17th of 1998. I was abandoned by my mother at the University of Sioux Falls. Football camp was going to start. We had a team meeting in the Science Center. There was a, a big audience, or auditorium, and so we were all in there. I was a measly little freshman, terrified out of my mind. And uh, Coach Young gave a, a thrilling, inspirational speech, and Coach Garrow was there, who was the defensive coordinator at the time. And then they left, and the seniors said, nobody move. Ew. See, in 1996, USF had won the national championship, and then 1997, they had gone to the semifinals and lost out on a chance to defend their national championship. So it was 1998, and these seniors were ready to defend or to go back to the national championship. And so they decided that they were going to have a little team meeting and let us all know how the season was going to go. In case you're wondering, there was a fair number of words that I cannot use from this stage or don't try to use in my life. And I was terrified. Mom, maybe you could come pick me up. I don't know if I can handle this. Okay, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was a powerful team meeting. In fact, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a freshman as well, and he said, do you remember that meeting? And I said, like it was yesterday, and we were all terrified. I mean, when you've got guys like Jason Grenovich and Monty Love, these, these men, we're little boys, and these men are yelling at us, and we haven't even done anything yet little team meeting. So we interrupt this uh, Tapas segment for a SAP update. You realize there is a SAP update that you can call in and get a SAP update for Crow Wing County and Aiken County. You can call in for all these different counties, and, and they give you an update on the percentage of SAP that's been gathered in the woods and the concentration level of the SAP. You're like, we don't care. We actually care less about this than we care about your Tapas, and we really don't care about your Tapas. Am I right? You probably wouldn't amen for anything, but you might want to amen for that. The sap is flowing in Crow Wing County, and it is flowing at a vigorous rate. So if you wanted to make maple syrup this year, you might want to get on it. Last week's memory verse was 20, 320, but our citizenship is in heaven. Here we are in a new chapter uh, which really doesn't mean anything because we know that the chapters were added later on. But Paul says this, he says, Therefore, Philippians verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side, with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So he concludes the previous section with this therefore. And as we say, what's the therefore, therefore? Basically he's saying because of all of these things that I've already said and all of these things we've been talking about, in particular because of our citizenship being in heaven and, and those who are identified as followers of Jesus Christ, we are fellow citizens together because of that, okay? 
Because of all this, we're going to get into this instruction. I guess you could say our first date was July 11th. It was um, somewhat awkward, not just for me, but for a few other folks. And really for the first five years, there was a lot of question around, is this thing going to work? And really not for me, because I knew very quickly that, that I was smitten and that this was, this was going to hopefully be, well, as, as the song goes, a love that would last a lifetime. See, for the first five years, a lot of people would say, well, Eric, what's next? What's next? Timberwood Church is next. No, where are you going to go after this? Like, right now, you're kind of like an associate, community life, like, this isn't the end. No, no, this is it. This is where God has called me to be, and this is the place that has my heart. Oh, do you think I was talking about Nikki? Oh, I knew right away. I told my brother right after I'd met her in Mexico, different story, different time. I said, that's the woman I'm going to marry, and I was only 17. Paul says here, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Paul has a deep-seated passion for this church at Philippi. Because Paul has a pastor's heart for these people that he has worked with and cared for in this church that he has planted. And I can say these same words and feel the feelings that Paul has for Timberwood Church. The body of believers that comes together whom I love and long for. When I'm gone, I can't wait to get back. And I'm so excited every week to say, who's going to walk through the front door? And God continues to amaze me over and over and over and over. And something we've been talking about at various moments is, is the reality is that joy is actualized through the fellowship of citizens of heaven when we are able to experience community together. And that was why this last year has been so extremely painful and awkward. I know what joy isn't. Joy isn't a stay-at-home order or quarantining or any of these things. <laughs> I mean, we read multiple times throughout the New Testament that fellowship the communing between believers is what brings about joy in our lives. And I was on this call on Monday with a group that I recently joined that, that they want to say, of course, is the, the Twin Cities gathering of pastor theologians. And I said, <clears throat> excuse me, and greater Minnesota, okay? Thank you. And we were discussing why do we do church the way that we do church? And the streaming ability has been wonderful. It has been revolutionary. The sad thing, though, is when I, when I hear this sentiment, I love being able to just sit at home and watch church. And this is no judgment. This is no judgment. For those of you at home, you're at home for, for very specific reasons. And I get that, and I honor that. And I love you as well. What, what Paul is saying here is 
the community of faith where joy and love exists is when we get to come together and do life together. Corporate worship is not a segmented thing that exists in isolation. It's something that we do together as a body. And Paul is talking about how much he loves these people and he longs to be with them. They have brought about this joy in his life. And I think oftentimes we forget Paul is writing a letter to these people. This is a a love letter to them with some specific instructions. And what is that instruction? Well, it starts with, stand firm thus in the Lord. And then he doubles down and says, my beloved. What does it mean to stand firm thus in the Lord? If you have ever been to the ocean or been up to Lake Superior when there's big wind, there is great joy standing in the surf and being buffeted just by like huge rolling waves. And, and as kids, we would go and, and you know, you're like, all right, let's see how, how long we can stand here and withstand the buffeting of the waves just hitting us, hitting us, hitting us. That's this imagery that Paul has, that we are rooted in our faith so that we can withstand whatever the world has to bring to us. Another way to ask it is, what grounds us in our faith? What are the practices that we do, that is what a word practice means, it's something that we do on a regular basis, that allows us to remain true and rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ? Because if we don't remain true and rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ, we are easily blown here or there, this way or that. When the waves come, we are buffeted to and fro. It's like, well, you know the guy? The guy that has never seen a leg day in his life? You're like, come on, man. You can bench 450 pounds, but you can't squat the bar? Right? Trees are able to grow big and strong because they have large trunks, because their root systems are deeply rooted. It's not because all the weight is on top. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, and then he gets into some business, and, and part of these two verses get to get us rem- remembering back to verse 127 so long ago about this idea of remaining rooted together in the faith and having this unity of mind. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. You didn't realize that this was actually the first baby Yoda. Like when she was born, mom was like, oh, baby Yodia. There she is. I don't think she was green. She probably had some wisdom. It's interesting because Paul doesn't like to air other people's business. He doesn't like to name names. And he takes a very key moment in this letter to the Philippians to address a public disagreement that has taken place between two key leaders in the church and he calls them out on it. 
Because as we've been talking about through the book of Philippians, the importance of agreement, the importance of unity of mind between those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And when there's a division, a disagreement between people within the body, it becomes fertile soil for Satan to do what Satan does and to drive a wedge and to create camps. Well, I'm on Syntyche's side. Well, I'm on Iodia's side. Oh, well, yeah, because you do this, that, and the other thing. And we create these divisions, and Satan is very excited about this. Now, one thing that we can miss on this is how Paul is mentioning two prominent leaders in the church at the time. He says, these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. And we've been talking about this off and on. John did a big thing on Wednesday night talking about the importance of hermeneutics and good theology. And for so long, we have, we have used Paul's theology inappropriately, and we have disregarded important texts like this, and we have said the woman's place in the church is that of submission and quietness and not in authority and not in leadership. And we say, since when? Paul is talking about two key women who helped found the Philippian church. And if we're wondering if the Philippian church was important, it has its own book in the whole Bible. So clearly these women, early on in the ancient Near Eastern world, are doing amazing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ and having a massive impact on the church. So why did we stop? Why did there become this moment where we said, actually... We're just going to disregard a good portion of Paul's theology, and we'll just focus on a few key verses that we want to use to elevate ourselves. Bad hermeneutics, bad theology, bad result. The power of these females within the early church should not be missed, it should not be downplayed, and it should not be used the wrong way. Paul is saying these two women have done amazing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is so important that you, this unnamed individual, notice we get their names, but we don't get the other person's name. We get this fellow worker reference. I need you to be the reconciling agent between these two key powerhouses within the Philippian church. Because it is of utmost importance that these folks be united around the cause of Jesus Christ. Because again, fractures in the church are fertile soil for the devil's work. So Chance the Rapper just released a new song. He first tweeted the first 40 seconds of it, and then he released it directly to YouTube the next day. And if you're unfamiliar with Chance the Rapper, certainly not condoning all of his songs, but it brought up this great conversation around how do we define Christian music and what does that look like, and much larger conversation. But he says this 
in this new song. He says, the truth is slow because someone's always in a rush to hide it. The lie is golden because the devil's got a touch of Midas. I think the three hardest words to say in the English language are either, I am sorry, or I forgive you. I screw up a lot. Like, and it's obscene amount of times. And last Sunday, uh, uh, we were together with some friends, and we were talking about a, a variety of things. And then I made a comment that as soon as I made it, I was like, yeah, yeah, get back in my mouth. And when I get called out on it, what do we do? Oh, we double down. Especially if it's our spouse that says, you know, you shouldn't have said that. You're like, really? Let me tell you all the reasons why I should have said that. Even though inside we're like, no, you shouldn't have said that. It's like if you're getting pulled over for speeding, you just go faster? No. Just say, yep, you're right. You got me. I was speeding. And there was no grounds for, for anything for me to be in the right. <laughs> Harriet Lerner, she uh, is not a follower of Jesus, I'm fairly certain, uh, and, but she is an expert on this idea of apologizing. And it's interesting because she says, an apology is not a bargaining chip. An apology is not the end of the conversation. It is the way forward in the relationship. And then she says in this book of hers, perhaps the number one risk factor for being a non-apologizer is being born male. <clears throat> oh, Whoa! Just as the num number one risk factor for being an over-apologizer is being born female. Research su suggests that more men than women just won't go there when it comes to apologizing, a finding that holds true across most cultures. Why won't you apologize? You know, it's interesting when you read a book that you don't completely agree with, it's okay. You're not going to burn up. Your hands aren't going to start on fire. Your faith in Christ is not going to be swayed. <laughs> That's why we stand firm in our faith. Apologizing is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to do. And so often we apologize with a non-apology or a corrosive clarifier. We say, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not an apology. I'm sorry that I did that, but if I, not an apology. <laughs> well, what if, what if I'm not at fault? Really? And she goes on to say, what if you're 5% at fault? You're still at fault. So apologize for the 5% that you're at fault. 
And you start to create this opportunity for reconciliation. And Miroslav Volf is this, this leading thinker from Yale who is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this book, Exclusion and Embrace, that has revolutionized how I view forgiveness. And it's something that, I mean, I spent six weeks talking about this. So how do we do it in six minutes? We don't. But he talks about this image in the apology and the forgiveness where we create space for the other person to come in and to reconcile. And here, Paul sees two individuals within the church whose disagreement with one another is affecting the larger body of the church. And it is of utmost importance that they unify around the cause of Jesus Christ and the essentials of the gospel. And they put aside their personal frustrations. They put aside the non-essential things that they've made essential. And we've li- we live in a world that has conditioned us into these terrible positions. I don't apologize because that'll make me seem weak or that'll give the other person an opportunity to do the same thing to me again or, or just go down the list. And yes, there are so many exceptions in this realm of apology and forgiveness and reconciliation. And then the verse that just continues to resonate in my mind when Jesus says, you'll be forgiven to the level at which you forgive one another. Oh, my word. Paul says, please help these individuals to reconcile and forgive one another. When we apologize and seek forgiveness, we humble ourselves. We say, you're right. I, I, I don't know any, everything. I, I, I've screwed up. Please forgive me. And how often is it that, that when we are having a conversation and, and we're trying to reconcile, we become litigators and not listeners? Brene Brown talks about this. When we're, when we're listening to what somebody's saying, we're not listening, we're preparing our defense. And we've been talking throughout the book of Philippians. If we are to humble ourselves as Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, when we get into these relationships where there is a fraction or a division like there's going on in the Philippian church, we say, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. How can I make it up to you? Let's reconcile. Peter was talking about it again in 1 Peter 5 on Wednesday night, the importance of being humble. And why is it again so important? Because these individuals, Paul says, Their names are in the book of life. When we are followers of Jesus Christ, when we have said yes to the invitation of Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation and relationship and all these things, our name gets written in the book of life. And when our name is in the book of life with other individuals whose names are in the book of life, we are to be united around that truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we are to let everything else fall by the wayside. We are to, to say, Holy Spirit, I may be wrong here, I probably am wrong, but help me build the unity of the church because that is the most important thing. And I so easily get sidetracked into these arguments and divisions and all these things that are not helpful to the body of Christ. Because when we say, I love and long for the body of Jesus Christ, as Paul does, when there is division, it causes sorrow, and there is a desire to bring about reconciliation. Paul is calling for the reconciliation and forgiveness in the church because he knows, he knows the destructive nature of relational fractures within the body of Christ. And we all screw up on the regular. And every time we screw up, we are provided with an opportunity to show whose we are, to show where our citizenship lies, and to show that we value the unity of Christ more than we value our own personal opinions, preferences, rights, however you want to say it. Division in the church is nothing new. Reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ is not new but it's available. So the question becomes, in this team meeting that we get to have every single week, what is the Spirit calling us to do? What is the Spirit calling us to do in the sense of unity around the essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I entreat us to be unified around that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for images of your church that show us that this is not a gathering of perfect people. It is a collection of sinners coming together around your cross and your throne of grace, seeking reconciliation and relationship that produces joy. Jesus, we know that you are grieved by divisions in your body. And we know that we contribute to that. Spirit, we ask today that you would search our hearts and our minds and our relationships, that you would do the painful work of showing us the areas where we need to go. And utter those words, I am sorry. Spirit, be the healing balm of reconciliation. Allow us to see other people as you see them. 
allow us to be united as your church. In Jesus' name.